Welcome to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. Brought to you by Present Truth Ministry, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. Let's get into the Word this morning. Father, thank you because I'm anointed to teach. And I thank you because your people are anointed to receive and together our faith is built up in the knowledge of the person of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. So I'm going to do a quick review and I'm going to run quickly. We're looking at biblical motivation for giving. Biblical motivation for giving. Why should we give? And I said on Sunday... That your finances are a test of your heart. The Bible says where the heart of a man is, that's where his finances will go. That's where his treasure would go. And let's quickly turn to Acts chapter 8. I'll do a quick review and I'm going to build up from there. In Acts chapter 8, we were able to emphasize in verse 14. Uh, Acts chapter 8, after Philip preached in Samaria, the sorcerer Simon got born again. We're able to emphasize in verse 18, Acts chapter 8 and verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you. And I try to emphasize this on Sunday, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. And we were able to establish that, unfortunately, it seems as if that's where we are tending in our messages. To say, if you need healing, you need to give something. If you need protection, you need to sow a seed. And what we have realized is that it is as if it's been taught that the gift of God could be purchased with money. And we're able to established from the writings of Matthew, the Bible says, freely have you received, freely give. And we're talking about healing, uh, deliverance, casting out demons, and all that. So we must understand, and we must be very clear as believers, that nothing that Christ has purchased on the cross for you can be gotten because you gave. You must establish that. You must establish that. You cannot give to receive healing. Healing is the gift of God. You cannot give to receive protection. So you don't say, I'm traveling now. I want to sow this seed so that I will travel safely. That's idolatry. Protections, Psalm 91, it says, They that dwell in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And he goes on to talk about our protection. It never told us to give to get that. And I said that there are two extremes. There are those who teach giving, giving to get everything. And there are those who... Now feel, oh, there's no need to give anymore. And you see, the truth of the matter is that if you are a genuine believer, you will have a generous nature. Stinginess is not a fruit of the Spirit. Your ability to withhold is not a sign of maturity. Don't think, I'm very, ah, don't worry, all oh, these preachers, they can't get money from my pocket. Too. I've, I have no all their tricks. It doesn't show that you're matured. Because the abuse of something does not mean it is wrong. Something can be abused, but there is a biblical way to it. And that's what you should look for. Are, are you following what I'm saying? So we said that the gift of God cannot be bought with money. We cannot exchange money for anything. And I was very clear on the issue of the redemption of the firstborn, that that is not a doctrine that should be preached in the church. The scripture says that we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, not with corruptible things, it specifically say gold and silver, which was the medium of exchange in those days, which means that we cannot be redeemed by money. So someone cannot say that you should come and redeem your firstborn by giving an offering. It's actually an insult on, on redemption and even a downgrading of your own child. Because to put your child and Naira in the same scale is actually very insultive. Maybe pounds, you can, you can you say, okay, you know, or Bitcoin, something, you know. Something. <laughs> or you can't. You know, to exchange your child with 10,000 naira, it shows that it's a little more than a goat you give back to. You understand what I'm saying? Because a good goat is 12,000. So, you know, you don't want to get into that. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Redemption and money are not connected. Because for, for, for the law of atonement, for you to redeem something, it has to be equivalent value. And that is why Jesus Christ shed his blood, which was blameless and sinless 
to be able to redeem us. And that is why the blood of bulls and the blood of goats could not redeem us because man and animals were not at the same level. Those were things that were brought about um, just until what? The sacrifice of Jesus. This is very clear because in our hearts, if care is not taken, we will begin to feel that it is because of what we're giving that is making God respond to us. But the Bible says that the gift of God cannot be purchased. What, what, what happens is that if the gift of God can be purchased, that means people who are poor cannot access it. But Jesus Christ came and paid the same price for both the poor and the rich. Are we clear on that? Okay. Now, we talked about four motivations for giving. Do not give with the wrong motives. Motives is everything in the Christian faith. Your motive is everything in the Christian faith. Four motivations for giving. We said thankfulness to God. So we don't need to have a day of thanksgiving. God can do something amazing for your life. You just decide, hey, I just want to be appreciative to God. And you just give to the Lord. So we give um, uh, as, a, as, as thanksgiving to the Lord. And I was able to establish that in those days they used to call it harvest. The Anglican church called it harvest. The Roman Catholic church. And some of those orthodox churches called it harvest. And the reason was because... It, uh, um, in those days, people were, it was an agricultural society, okay? So people weren't giving money. So when they go to the farms and they harvest, the harvest had to be at a particular period. You know, you cannot bring a corn you just planted today and say, well, Lord, God just protected me, so I brought this corn. <laughs> the high priest will drive you, you know? So the, the feast had to come at a particular season when the crops were ripe, and then people gave that to the Lord. Number two, we give as gratitude towards those who feed us spiritually. And I was able to, I'm going to build from here now. I'm going to take it up from here. But I was able to establish on, on Sunday also, please get the message, that you have an obligation to the man who teaches you the word. That's what God commands. That's what God teaches. That if you are fed spiritually, you have an obligation to take care of the person who teaches you the word. And it is not debatable. It is not Obeying it is a different thing, but it is not, uh, is, you don't have an option. That's what the scriptures command. It says, muzzle not the ox that treads the corn. That means that if I, have, if I have a spiritual teacher over my life, I have a responsibility to minister to them, to take care of them, to be of a blessing to them. Don't get, don't get angry at preachers when their churches decide to take care of them and you feel that they are doing too much for them. That's not your problem. It's not your money. It's not your assembly. You don't have anything to do with that. It's, it's very important that you mind where the Lord has put you. Okay? How other people treat their pastor is none of your business. You have a responsibility to the one that leads you, to the one who ministers to you spiritually. And I also said because of... Now, this is a difficult aspect of the message. From here on, it's fine because this relates to me personally. But uh, you just have to hear it. And I've said that because of technology, most of us get fed from several places. You can listen to TBN, you can listen to all that. Why it is good to minister to those people who feed you, you have a responsibility to your local church pastor. You, because if you, if you say, oh, well, my spiritual father is in Texas, okay, and then your child needs to be named, then you have to get your spiritual father to come name that child. Okay? So you cannot say the person who feeds me spiritually is in Colombia. Uh, but this one here is just marking time. He's not the real president. They just put him there. You know? But when it comes to doing the work of visiting you in the hospital, praying for you, leading you and teaching you every Sunday, I do the labor. Uh, but then in your mind, uh, this person is the person who fits me spiritually. The local church is God's local arrangement to build the body of believers. And that's very important. So I will not want to emphasize that. But I want to build from... Um, 1 Timothy chapter 5, where the Bible says that those who labor over you are worthy of double honor. Now, sometimes people teach the word double honor as you should respect pastors more, but that's not what I was talking about. In fact, if you read from newer translations, it said double salary. But I just want us to read it so that we build a context from there and then we'll move on. So, uh, it was talking about widows. Uh, um, Paul was teaching Timothy how to take care of widows. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 3 Honor widows who are really widows. Because I want to emphasize this. As we talk about giving, I'm going to build on this. Because unconsciously also, we have built a system in our local churches where you just feel that, oh, because you're a member of the local church, then you deserve to be taken care of. And, and you know, we now rate churches based on how much they can take care of the poor. 
Why that is okay, but that's not the primary responsibility of the church. So you, and I want you to listen carefully this morning. I want to try to take my time and I want to try and finish this up. But you need to listen to how Paul talks about the widows that should be taken care of. That's where it, 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 it includes pastors. But let's go on. Honor the widows who are really widows. So he uses the word honor. Okay? He says, um, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. For this is good and acceptable before God. So he's, he's, he uses the word, honor the widows who are really widows. But if these widows have children, the children should go take care of their parents. Did you see it there? Did you see it? Okay. Now, she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God. Who does the widow who is left alone trust in? That's the first thing. God is your source. Not even the local church. It says the one who is really a widow trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Meaning that she has a spiritual life. She has a walk with God. She prays. Okay, verse, nine, verse 6. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay? Now, uh, this is going to go here now. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. So if you're a widow under 60 years old, he says, don't put that in the number. <laughs> and not unless she's been the wife of one man. Well reported. If you want to put her, she should be reported for good works. That means if you don't have good works, the church welfare system shouldn't be looking at you. Okay. If she has brought up her children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has watched the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. So Paul says, the widow that the church must take care of has characteristic. She must be someone who was diligent, who was committed, serving strangers, taking care of the saints. And then we can say, hey, come on, let's, let's support this because she's done some good works. And what you find out, the people just walk to church the next day and they, they walk to church today and the next day they're placing demands on you. And if you don't respond, then they show you a minister in TV who is busy dashing out money. And says, that's what a true man of God is. Look at this. But refuse the younger widows. For when they had begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desired to marry. Having condemnation because of the cause of their first faith. And besides, they learned to be idle. So if the church is taking care of them, they learn to be idle. Wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies. Saying things which they ought not to. Because they are under the church welfare system. They don't worry. They will give us something. Do you know what happened in church on Sunday? Saying things they ought not to. If they were walking, they wouldn't have time for that. And so Paul specifically speaks about honoring people and, um, and taking care of people who have a reputation for good works. Who are, have a reputation for following the scriptures. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, let's quickly go to verse 17 now. It says, let the elders... Who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. Now, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it, it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So, he uses the word honor and uses the word wages. So, of course, when he was te teaching us about honoring widows, he wasn't just saying we should respect widows. He said we should do what? We should take care of them. You see, God has a system for taking care of the poor. God has a system for taking care of the orphan. God has a system for taking care of widows. It's not the society that drafted all of this. These things were in scriptures even before the laws and NGOs were formed. There were instructions, specific instructions to the children of Israel when they went to reap their grain on how to take care of the poor. But these things are laid out in scriptures if we take time to study scriptures. Now the Amplified says, Let the elders who perform the duties of their office well be considered double worthy of honor, bracket, and of adequate financial support, especially those who labor faithfully in preaching and teaching. So the scripture does not support that you should take care of every minister. It gives you the criteria. What is the criteria? Those go back up to verse 17. What's the criteria? Those who rule well. First of all, you can't just support everybody because they say they are called into ministry. No. It says the people that 
just as he gave the qualification for widows, he also gave the qualification for the ministers. So that because someone is a pastor, automatically doesn't mean that you need to support them. He says it should be those who rule well and those who labor in the word and doctrine. So if I am to support a minister, the first thing I'm going to look at is this. What am I going to look at if I'm to support a minister? Does this minister labor in the word? Are you following what I'm saying? Is he laboring in the word and doctrine? If he is laboring in the word and doctrine, and if he's doing his job well, then fine, we can give him support. But if I hear what the guy is teaching, and it's as if he hasn't studied anything, he doesn't deserve support. He's not laboring in doctrine. He's not laboring in the word. So these are also criterias when you want to support the ministry. You want to check out, are they laboring? Not are they preaching? Anybody can preach. Anybody can preach. I was listening to a man on TV one time. And he was, you know, saying, in January, God is going to bless you. In, in, in February, God is going to open doors for you. In March, I said, well, you could have just said this year. Instead of counting the months in the year, you could have just said this year. You want to look at, is this man laboring in the word? Is this man, do you see effort in his teaching of doctrine? If he is, then fantastic. So God puts out criterias for support. We must not get into the place of giving so that there is learned helplessness. You know, some people say, oh, you know, I've heard people even say that. Oh, this guy is called into ministry, but uh, you know, but what are we do? We just support. No, no. Listen, the money you have, you are accountable to God for it. You can't just give it because you like. You can't be emotional about it. You have to be accountable to God for it. And so you make sure that your giving is meeting the right criteria. It's a ministry. It's worship to God. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay. The next thing is... We give out of love and compassion for the needy. God cares for the poor, the orphans, and the widows. In Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 10 to 11, he talks about giving to the poor. And Jesus quoted this. And I want to come here now. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Let's read verse 10. So we've established that we give out of thankfulness to God. We, we give to those who teach us spiritually. Now we're giving to the poor. We cannot do one and leave the other. We must have a balanced approach to giving. Deuteronomy chapter 15. You know, sometimes you can give, you can give so much to the poor that you neglect your own parents. Alright? I'm going to teach that next month when I'm teaching on generational curses. Some of us think we're under curses. It's just because we have neglected taking care of our parents. In fact, the scripture teaches that what you are supposed to give to your parents, don't bring it to church. I'm going to show you that. It says, the, it says, whatever you're supposed to give to your parents, you've given it to God. You just say, oh God, I've given it to you. It says, you make the word of God has no effect by your tradition. You should have a portion that goes to your parents, even if they are wealthy. It's not a matter of whether they are wealthy or they have or they don't have. No, it's a spiritual obligation. To support your parents. It's a spiritual obligation. Recharge their phone. Even as a young child, I don't want to go I just really want to finish this. But even as a young child, oh, I don't have money, I don't have money. And you are buying phone for girls. And you say you, you can't find a job. How will you find a job? Your parents suffered to train you through school. You have bought phones for, for girls to be doing um, video chats. And your parents there have never tasted, never tasted. You have to call somebody to call your mother. You not say anywhere you go, they are turning you back. They should not only turn you back, they should beat you back. Some of you can't even call your parents and just ask them, how are you doing? No, you are too self-consumed. And yet, there are people elsewhere that will just call you. I'm stranded in the motor park now. Send me your, your account number. You are just transferring money and transferring money and transferring money and transferring money. Because you don't read Bible. You don't even know who you should give to. You can't even call your mother. You can't even speak with them. You can't even honor them. Ah, if you know what my father did to me. Why are you a believer? Why did you give your life to Christ? 
Why did you accept the sacrifice of Christ? Where is the place of forgiveness in your heart? The scripture says, honor your father and your mother so that it might be well with you and that your days might be long on the earth. It's non-debatable. It's scriptural requirement. Be of a blessing to them. Ah, you don't know my mother. <laughs> I'm sure God doesn't know her too. Deuteronomy 15. Let's go there. We'll, we'll talk about that next month. Verse 10. You shall give to him freely without begrudging it. Because of this, the Lord will bless you in all your work and in all your undertaking. Talking about the poor. For the poor will never cease out of the land. Now, I want, to, I want to create a balance here. Listen to me. You cannot help poor people and eradicate poverty from the earth. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Get used to the fact that there will always be poor people around you. And I hope you are not saying, ah, thank God, the scripture mentions us. <laughs> See, there are always be poor people in the life. See, pastor, tell them the truth. You are, you are associating with me. Okay. <laughs> when, the, when Mary brought that expensive perfume to Jesus, um, Judah says we could have sold this and give to the poor. Jesus Christ said, listen, if it is for poor people, they will always be there. They are a constant equation of life. Because people might be poor for various reasons. Economic reasons, health reasons, some out of laziness, some out of foolishness. The variableness that cost poverty are so much. So you always have them. He says you always have the poor in your land. They will not cease. That means they will be in constant supply. Alright? <laughs> Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hands to your brother, to your needy, and to the poor in your land. Okay. So, it, the first thing, it says, open your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Our first primary responsibility is to members of the household of faith. It's very important. Members of the household of faith, as in regards to taking care of the poor. We look at members of the household of faith. So, Paul talks about taking care of those people in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. And let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 14. I want to create a balance here. Because I've heard people teach that. And uh, I'll talk about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You know, people say, in the beginning, in the book of Acts, people who had, they brought everything together. Everybody had everything. <laughs> you see, if we do that, we will all end up poor. We we'll all end up poor. Because you know, there are people that when they just say, okay, if all of us, let's say as we're at church now, all of us bring our salary at the end of the month. Some people will not work again. The reason they had to do that, you see, when you study scriptures, you must also, studying scriptures without a sense of history will lead to wrong interpretation. Very simple. The church was just starting then, and they were being persecuted. So they were, a group of people who needed to support each other. For instance, I don't know if some of you experienced it in school, where you got born again and they say you can't, go, you can't come back home. Did any of you have that kind of experience? Like, you know, okay, most of your, 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 um, your parents were Christians. But if you had, there's, there's, we, we have a lady here in church who was of the other faith. And when she accepted the Lord Jesus, and became a believer, when the parents were leaving the town, they said, you can't join us. She was left alone. Because the parents belonged to the other faith. For such people, what do we do? As a church, we provide the support. You are not being persecuted. You are in your own land. You have to look for work. And you are saying, we should share our salary with you. That's not scriptures. That's not scriptures. And I'm saying this because it's also important for us to understand that the fact that people close to us have access to resources does not automatically mean that we have to be dependent on them. Because what now happens is people give you out of, they don't want to feel guilty. You know, sometimes you can feel guilty for the Lord prospering you. And it says, do not give to them begrudgingly. That means you shouldn't have grudge as you give. But let's read this now. See, Corinthians chapter 8, verse 14. I don't know. Create the balance here now. 8.14. Verse 20 says, For I do not... Verse verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased than you burden, but by 
an equality that now at this time, I want you to see that at this time, your abundance may supply their lack. That their abundance also may supply your lack. That they might be equality. So what Paul's teaching is, at this stage, you should come, I was talking to, to <laughs> funny enough, I was talking to, to my wife, there was a minister that the, 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 there was a minister somewhere in River State, don't want to mention this specifically, there was so much crisis, the church was broken down, things were all messed up, so much crisis, killings and everything, they couldn't run the church, so, so we helped him to relocate to, to Benin City and uh, planted a new church there, so myself and my wife, we paid for the rent, got something, spent some money and settled him up. It's about a year now, so he sent me some money last, maybe last month he sent me 4000 the other month he sent me 5000 this month he sent me 8000 You know, it's just, just two, two weeks interval. So that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying at this time we can support you. But as we support you, you find your footing. And at the later time, what happens? You now support us. Okay? But I was jokingly telling my wife, I'm having a minister's training in Benin on Tuesday. I say, well, this guy just started the church in one month. He's been giving me offerings every two, two weeks now. I, I need to check what he's preaching. You know, so, yeah, I just need to check what he's preaching to just because the way the money is flowing, I'm beginning to get a bit bothered. Now, am I happy that he's giving? Absolutely, but the thing is coming so fast. I just need to be sure he's doing the right thing. You know, but that's the state. The state is not for you to be in a constant state of poverty. It is for us to support you and you find your footing and what happens that you respond by that generosity. I don't know if you, if you follow what I'm saying. That's how the church is built. Now, I don't want to go there because it's, it's not really found in the New Testament. But if you study the Jewish culture, there are eight levels of giving. There are eight levels of giving. The highest level is the level where you support people to find their own footing. Either give them a job or support them to start a trade or to learn a trade. That's the highest level of giving. The lowest level of giving is giving people handouts. Just handing them money. Just handing them money. If you are a believer, when you have someone who is constantly dependent or asking you for something, you need to sit them down and ask them, what can you do? The, the funny thing is, I've seen people who don't have a job choose the kind of jobs they want to do. You understand? Uh, you know, this is what I can do. I say, why can't you try this? No, sir. No, sir. It's not in my area of passion. You can't be poor and have passion. No, no, no. no. You can't be in need and have passion. You, you, at that point... Don't mention that word passion out of your mouth. What you should only be saying is walk, 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 walk. Not passion, not dream, not vision. Walk. I don't have a flair for this. You will find the flair. Are you following what I'm saying? Listen, there are stages in your life you don't have a choice. In the early days of ministry, myself and my wife, we sold recharge cards. We sold recharge cards. My wife made bonds to go and sell in the school where she was teaching. When my parents were planting the church, myself and my younger brother, we hawked. Then I was so ashamed to hawk because I was in secondary school. So I put the tray in his head. I was standing behind. When they call him, I'll quickly sell and take steps backward. I was ashamed. But I didn't know what I knew now because they were not teaching this in church. During the IBB regime, teachers were not paid for almost six months. My father, who will be here next month, he travels around the world preaching now. He went to the farm to cut firewood to sell. We had to go with him. We sold firewood. You, you can't be jobless and go to where they are working. You now put your hand in your pocket. Say, how can I carry cement on my head? You will remain eternally poor if God doesn't have mercy on you. You can't have pride when you don't have job. You are looking for company work. You've been looking for it for eight years. Isn't something telling you that something is not working? This is not a matter of prayer. We are praying. We are trusting God. It's a matter of foolishness. Look for something to do. 
Be a bus conductor. Are you following what I'm saying? Get up and walk is not a bad thing. I remember uh, when, I, when I left secondary school, I was teaching. When I left secondary school, I started teaching immediately. I left SS3. I started teaching primary too. They, myself and Pastor Azuka, they were paying us 800 naira then. The first 800 naira they paid us, myself and Azuka, I went to buy a camera. And then Azuka bought some other things that we needed. So, you know, we removed that tithe and all that. So we had a camera. And we'll finish teaching. We'll go to where they are doing this. It's a hot spot. We'll snap pictures. And then we'll go. You know, it's not now where you have digital camera. We'll go to the lab. We'll do. We'll print. We'll bring. Just getting on with life. If you are a genuine believer, God will give you these ideas. What kind of business will you start? Sir, I can start with uh, 950000 first. You know, when I sit in the office and ask people, so what can you do? Say, sir, I've done all the calculation. I'm looking at uh, 600, 600. I'll just stretch my hands. I say, let's pray. Trust God for it. <laughs> Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for this. Your son, in my mind, who needs sense but doesn't have. <laughs> I pray that God will perfect all that consigns you. In Jesus' name. That's the last time they'll get access to my office. 600,000 from where? A believer must exalt the dignity of labor. Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? Work is part of your worship. It says, whatsoever you do, do as unto the Lord. That whatsoever means if you're a cleaner. Means if you're coming out of your house in the morning to sell food. And I'll tell you something. Listen to this. Listen to this very carefully. I'll tell you something. When you have that approach to life, you would see people willingly come and say, how can you scale this thing up? Are you following what I'm saying? Okay, let's leave that. The welfare system of any local church must not promote dependency. Any local church, the welfare system must never promote dependency. It must be to do what? To promote a strong work ethic. A strong work ethic. That's very important. In your life, you must establish that. In your life, you must establish that. And these are scriptural requirements as we give because we are stewards of the resources of the Lord. Are you following what I'm saying? Okay. Number, number four, we must give because we have a passion for the ministry of the gospel to be advanced. People gave to Paul to advance the gospel. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Philippians 4, verse 19. Have a serious approach to work. Be a hard worker. Be a hard worker. Have that very serious approach. It has been, I don't know, some of you, have, I don't know the title of the book specifically, but a research conducted, and I'm speaking in this generally, I'm just referring to Bonnie Island, but a research conducted have shown that areas where oil um, is developed, you find a very high rate of poverty. Okay? Not just within Nigeria, but in some other nations that didn't use their oil properly. Not, I'm not talking about the Middle East and all those who use theirs properly. And you know the number one reason? Dependency. Like, we found oil, ooh, <laughs> is to sit back. And earn as much as we can earn. And if you, if, you, if, you, if you listen to older people who were there in Nigeria before the pre-oil, before oil came up, you, you see that even the nation, it probably without oil, would have been a better nation. Go read your books. Because people were working. Even though our parents did not have what we call, I wouldn't say they were not wealthy, but in our own terms, they had so much digits in their bank account. Our parents were never poor. Do you know why? 
because they had the dignity of labor. They went to farm. You could pick out the few poor people in the village. And most of the, if you live the village life, most of the poor people were drunkards. If you needed a farm, they'll give you a farm. And that's why some of you are 13 in your family because your father understood that you were also labor force. How many of you were 26? <laughs> you know, because your father understood that if we want to break the back of poverty, we have to create our own economy. So he, become, he became the president of nations. And that's exactly what it was. But have you realized that, I'm not talking about now, but have you realized that even in those days, people who had so much children, they might not go to school, but they were all well fed. They all had meals. Are you understanding what I'm saying? We must have that approach. The Christian faith. And somehow it is because we have redefined what the meaning of favor is. So favor to a believer is you just sit in your house one day. They just call you that. Ah, you are now the manager of NMPC. God has done it. That's just it. You, you even hear testimonies like, I did not apply. They just called me. I did not even go to school. They just said, come and be the manager. And then people say, I came to that testimony. I, I asked one guy one day, one pastor. He was talking, he was talking. I said, so then the Niger Delta crisis was much. I said, what do you think is the solution to this Niger Delta problem? He said, it's prayer. It's prayer. I said, only prayer. I said, yes. I said, okay, no problem. Because to us as believers, we don't understand the place of building capacity. God said about, um, about David, he says, I've called him to lead Israel because of the integrity of his heart and the skillfulness of his hands. You must be honest and you must be competent. Favor does not land on incompetent people. When the favor of God took Joseph to become prime minister, they asked him, what can we do? He proffered a solution to rescue, to rescue the nation from famine. He didn't just say, let's worship God. No, he didn't do that. Even if you follow the, the children of Israel, as they were moving in the wilderness, manna was falling. The day they stepped their foot on the promised land, manna ceased. Because now they needed to walk. He says, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. You need to cultivate it. That's why for some of you, at certain point in your life, people were just giving you money. People were just blessing you. Ah, come, take money. Ah, take transport. Ah, take this. After a while, that thing ceased. Say, ah, why are my village people like this? Your village people want you to work. Manna has ceased. You are now in the promised land. Get work. Create value. Favor does not come on the incompetent. Let's stop promoting such teachings. Can you see the supernatural favor of God in the life of a man? Absolutely. But it's a man who is ready for it. It's a man who is ready that when favor shows up, he knows what to do with it. Are you following what I'm saying? Okay. So we give to promote the gospel. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you send aid once again for my necessities. Verse 15 says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. So you see that Paul wasn't supported. People weren't giving to Paul. But this church, um, the church in Philippians, in Philippi, they sent him aids to preach the gospel. Tickets cost money. Getting on radio cost money. Television cost money. The gospel cost money. Sitting in this kind of facility cost money. And that has to be given. Having a good sound system is expensive. People have to give towards it. People have to give towards it. Let's, let's read something. I'll just show you something here, then I'll go on. Matthew chapter 28. This was something that really made me, as a person, start giving so much to the gospel. Matthew 28, verse 12. Matthew 28, verse 12. Are you still here? Are you learning something? Say amen or say something. Are you learning something? All right, just to be sure. The message is going to touch you in different ways, okay? Just take what belongs to you and you're fine. Don't try to argue. <laughs> Some people say... <laughs> Matthew 28, verse 12. Now, verse 11. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city. This was when Jesus resurrected and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money 
to the soldiers. The Amplified says sufficient sum of money. Saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we'll appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. Look at this. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until today. You know what happened? When Jesus resurrected, the guys came and said, hey, 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 we can't allow them to preach resurrection. Take this money, and if they ask you, say that they came to, st- to steal his body. They gave them large sum of money to publish a lie. And you know what? Because money was involved, till today, there are still people who say the body of Jesus was stolen. Why do people say the body of Jesus was stolen? Because someone gave to further a lie. Are you following what I'm saying? When you watch all the shows, all the crazy shows on TV, somebody's paying for them. Are you following what I'm saying? You watch all the nonsense and all the drama going on. Somebody's paying for them. We need to advance the cause of the gospel. When we go to preaching nations, I mean, I think when I travel out to preach, maybe out of 10 trips, maybe only one is a ticket paid for. Nine, we pay, we pay the ticket. Some from the church, some from our own. When we go to maybe Burundi, Rwanda, Liberia, some of those nations. Someone has to take responsibility for advancing the cause of the gospel. The gospel is free, but sharing it is not free. Somebody has to pay the price. As we travel the nations... Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 8, the Bible says, as I was going from city to city preaching the message of the kingdom, there were people who were supporting him. You need to be a promoter of the gospel. Are you following what I'm saying? You need to give because we want the gospel to go forward. We need to give because we want the, the, the other nations to hear the word. We need to give to get on television. We need to give. Imagine if what you're hearing here every Sunday, we, we get on TV and we have millions of people listening to it all the time. Come on, the word will go forward. But somebody has to do the giving. Praise the name of the Lord. One of the things you must understand is the, the concept of stewardship. First Chronicles 29 verse 14. First Chronicles 29 verse 14. Put the scriptures up for me quickly because of my time. First Chronicles chapters uh, 29 verse 14. 1 Chronicles 29, 14. But who am I, David speaking, and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. Don't ever forget this verse. He says everything comes from you. It is even from what you have given to you that we that have given to us, sorry, that we are giving to you. We must never forget the concept of stewardship. Whatever we have to give, is something that has come from God. Praise the name of the Lord. The concept of stewardship. If you read Psalm 24 verse 1. Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and the people. And all that is in it. The concept of stewardship. The concept of stewardship. There's nothing you have that does not belong to God. You're not trying to give to God so God can do something for you. Even what you have that you want to give to God came from him. That rich fool said, oh, I'm going to increase my bonds. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to... And God says, tonight your soul will be required from you. You know, some of us have so much plans for the future. We don't even have plans for the kingdom. By the time I get this, when I retire, when I go there, when I do this, when I do that. And God will just be looking at you. I remember someone came to me and said, Pastor, all my goals this year have not been fulfilled. All my goals. And I was breaking down to cry. And I just, God just gave me a word of wisdom for her. And what is that word? It is only those who are alive that have goals. And the realization of that was a sense of gratitude. That even if my goals are not achieved this year, as far as God has given me breath, what's going to happen? We're going to go after them again. Praise the name of the Lord. If we want to give, what constitutes a New Testament offering? If we want to give. Number one, it must be cheerful. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. 
A New Testament offering must be cheerful. Must be cheerful doesn't really mean that you're laughing. <laughs> it just means you're giving with a heart of gratitude. Amen. And because of this, that's why in those days they used to say people should dance to the front and, um, and dance to the front and give their offering. It's just a thing of joy. You know, sometimes when we say it's time to receive our offering, just see how people's face just go like, oh God, money's leaving me again. Some Corinthians 9, 7. Look at this. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. So our giving must be cheerful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2, Paul instructs a regular and systematic way of giving. Your giving should be systematic. Your giving should be regular. So I'll just share a personal example with you. This is not scriptures. This is me. What we do personally, my family, we have a percentage of our income that goes into giving. So we live on a certain percent, we give a certain percent. So what happens is when we get money, we separate what we need to give into what we call our giving account. So we put that into the giving account. And then we outline based on this, this month, who is, in quote, the poor we want to help. Which minister do we want to um, um, minister to? Which kingdom cost are we giving to? And so every month we have that in a systematic way to give. When you say the spirit is leading me to give, it should be extra on what you have already planned to give. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't be waiting for the spirit to lead you all the time. You should just have this ready. So it helps you. It says on the first day of every week, let each man lay aside. Like we, well, I've also taught you here for your offerings. You can just decide this is how much I want to give as my offerings in the month based on what I receive. And just cut it out and give it as lump sum. Okay? You can do that. So that's what we do. So we have a giving account. We separate a percentage. Then we outline. So we find this month, we want to minister to this. We want to minister to that. We want to minister to this. We want to minister to that. Okay? Now, like I said, this is a personal example. This is not scriptures. This is just my example. Even in handling parents, this is what we do personally. This month, I can minister to my parents. Next month, I minister to, uh, to, to my parents-in-law. The next month, I minister to my parents. It's systematic. So, Ministering to my parents is not because I'm led. There's a system to it. Make your giving systematic. So when the Lord now says, for instance, last December, the Lord spoke to us to give a particular sum to a certain ministry that had been of a blessing to our life. That was out of the blues. That was, that was something that the Lord wanted us to do. But if the Lord had not spoken to us about that, we still have a giving that goes on. Just build that. Go back, sit down. Which pastor do we want to support? Which of the needy do we want to put in this and do it that way in, in that way you don't have to oh this year i gave this this month i gave this no 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 you can also track your giving are you increasing in your giving or are you decreasing if you don't track it you just discover that you don't even know where you're giving and you know all those uh, i'm stranded in uh, send me five thousand i'm stranded by the time you calculate all of those things you have built a house Especially when people know that when they reach out to you, you will respond. You know, for some of you, you will form, no, I'm not answering. You say, don't worry now. So later I go send up. You just say, oh yeah, go and check your accounts. I told you. The next time you just hear. You know, one thing you must realize about people is that if you close your eyes and you're gone now, if you resurrect 10 years later, they will still be alive. There's no problem that only you can solve. You are not Jehovah Jireh. Stop playing God in people's life. Some of you can't even, because of some of you, people don't even know how to trust God. You are their God. Once problem come, you are the first person. Sir, sir, there's an issue. <laughs> Have you prayed about it? No, sir, you are a Jehovah. Why should we pray? Where you are alive? You even hear people say, why has God blessed you if not for us? <laughs> okay. Let's go on. The breadwinner, the one who has won the bread. Keep winning. And by the time you are gone, you discover that there are other bakeries. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. You must give sacrificially. Once in a while. Once in a while. First, Second Corinthians 8, 3. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing given. Sometimes you go beyond your ability. Don't stay on the same level of giving. Sometimes get sacrificial about your giving. Stretch the borders of your giving. Set a mark and say, listen, this year I'm going to give this much. 
What does giving do to you? It kills you of greed and covetousness and selfishness. Paul, um, Paul tells Timothy that in 1 Timothy 16. So we're not saying you can't give sacrificially. Come on, do it. People sold their lands and gave to church. There's nothing wrong with that. The Lord moves you in that regard. Give it. Be sacrificial in your giving. A New Testament believer is sacrificial. Giving beyond your ability. Stretch, just as you stretch yourself for projects, stretch yourself in giving. I try to do that once in a while. Just give something I've not given before. Just stretching my giving ability. Number three, it must be willingly. Exodus 25, 2. It must be willing. It's very, very, very important. There is no offering that is by force in the New Testament. It has to be willing. If it's not willing, it's not received of the Lord. It must come from your heart. And don't be someone who is never willing. When you say we have needs for something, say no, I'm not willing. <laughs> Exodus 25, 2. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. Look at how God speaks. He says you shall take my offering. But he says let it be the one who gives it willingly from his heart. He says tell the children of Israel let them bring me an offering. This was where they were to build the tabernacle. He says but let it be willingly. Let it be from their heart. He says when they bring it you shall take my offering. So the offering belongs to God, but he wants you to give it with a willing heart. That's why as a ministry, we have a very strong policy on financing. Nothing is compulsory. Nothing is compulsory. You can be in this ministry for 10 years and never give, and nobody will ask you anything. But we don't need many people like you. <laughs> because then we'll be outside in the rain. Always be glad to participate. Are you following what I'm saying? When you come into church and you see a project going on, you come into church, you see something is not working, you come into church, you see something that will be nice for the church, don't wait for announcements. Don't wait to set up committee, like the National Assembly. They'll set up committee and they set up another committee to investigate that committee and set up another committee to investigate the previous two committee and then their tenure is over. Don't come to church and watch and watch until you now join another church after four years. If you see something that's good that needs to be done, get, it, get involved in it. For instance, just simple stuff. Every time you bring your kids in, there's nothing wrong. You know the kids drink, what do they drink now? Ribena, they drink all of those. There's nothing wrong in putting a crate or carton of Ribena in your pocket and dropping in your children's church. Don't just be dropping only your children. And don't say, hey, but we're giving offering. Can't they buy Ribena? No. Buy the carton of Ribena. It won't kill you. I remember one of our brothers one time just bought Bibles and gave to the whole children's ministry. Fantastic. Just do something. Take the house as your house. Don't wait for instructions to be given. Don't wait for us to say, well, we're building now. If you give to this building, as the building is rising, your life will be rising. What about when we finish the building? What's going to happen to your life? You'll die? Don't tie your giving to all of those things. Just give. Amen. I said, just give. Amen. Give willingly. Number four, give honestly, not as Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. Don't lie about your giving. You know, Peter told them something and I like it. He says, when you had the money, was it not yours? And when you gave it, was it not yours? Why lie about your giving? Be honest about your giving. Sometimes you need to be honest to God and say, hey God, I'm not giving the way I should. Just be honest. Be honest about your giving. Number five, give regularly and systematically. First Corinthians chapter 16. I've given you an example of how we, we, we go about this. First Corinthians 16. Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. First Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints as I've given others, others, others to the churches of Galatia. So you must do on the first day of each week. Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there will be no collections when I come. Save up the offering. I remember early days, one of the, the men that caused me to go into full-time ministry was Reverend Kolai Ochoa, Fountain of Wisdom in Kano. And I was serving his for a day. And I listened to his messages. He blessed me so much, just the youth corporate then. And I learned he was coming to Abuja. Uh, he used to send ministry newsletters. I learned he was coming to Abuja. 
And I wanted to give 10,000 there. You know, I started saving up that money and saving up that money and saving up that money. I mean, the day I gave him that money, ah, it was like as if I've, you know, Bill Gates, when you donate and say, help the continent of Africa. I felt so much relief. I felt so much joy. You can save up to give. Offerings to God are not crumbs. Don't treat God like a, like a beggar. Don't treat your ministers like beggars. Even when you want to help the needy, sometimes you can see, oh, this person, I want to help this person. Sit with them. Plan a project with them. What can you do? What, uh, it's going to take me 30000 40000 50000 200000 to help this. Okay, be patient for like two months. Let's work this thing out. Work the process with them. Some of us are not patient. Immediately somebody just tell you, what do you want to do? It's finished. That's the license to run the other battery. Okay? That thing you say, I want to do. Time is going, you know. No, no. Some, you also have to give people the patience to be able to do good things for you. Don't rush people who want to help you and get crumbs instead of getting a better life. Have you had such people in your life? Don't raise your hands. That you wanted to help and there's so much and you just decide, okay, just take and go. And meanwhile, you had something because you must also understand that anybody who wants to help you also have plans for their life. You are not the only person they have in their life. Are you following what I'm saying? So be patient. Walk through the process. Walk through the process. Give regularly and systematically. You can give joyfully in extreme poverty. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 2 tells us about the Macedonian church. So it's not only rich people that give. Everyone in the church should be a giver. Everyone. I remember many years ago, Kenneth Copeland being such a tremendous blessing to me. I started receiving his magazines in 1999 before I got into school. 2000. When I got into school, I will, <laughs> when I think back now, I laugh. I would wrap 200 naira in an envelope. You know, wrap it in like three envelopes so that it would vary so that they won't take it in the post office. And I'll post it, send it to South Africa. Their office was in South Africa. So after about one year, they now wrote me. They said, listen, we can't change this money you are sending, but we know you are a partner. Don't worry about sending. Whatever we'll give to partners, we'll give to you. I mean, I just wanted to give. I didn't have anything then as a student, but I understood the benefit of partnership. I remember two years ago, he was in South Africa. And uh, he, there was a partner's meeting. Kenneth Copeland was, was a partner's meeting. And he, and he said he wanted to give, uh, they wanted to get a, a plane for the ministry, the Citation X10. They wanted to get a, another plane for him to move around and all that. I was in the meeting. I just sent a text to my wife. I said, we don't have salary this year. We need to get, we need to just, this month, sorry. I said, we need to. Okay. But a couple of wants a plane, we're getting on that plane project. If you see people who criticize ministers for what they have, most likely, they're not partners of that ministry. Yeah. They're not. And I'll tell you this. Never criticize what others are doing. Just do the right thing you need to do. And it was such a joy to be part of that project. I remember when they finally got the plane, when they sent the pictures, man, I was so happy. It was like, I have bought it myself. You know why? Because we're partners. Somebody said, oh, pastor, if they buy a private jet for you, will you reject it? <laughs> I was born well. No way, sir. <laughs> I remember one day, I used to have, I just say this, lighter notes to close. I used to have problems with all of that. But I remember one particular trip I went to Kenya. I was to preach in Uganda and Rwanda in the space of six days. I mean, we flew to Rwanda, flew to Kenya, flew to... Ru I mean, at one time, I was at the airport for eight hours. Then Kenya was having their issues. At that day, I sat down. I said, hey, private jet would be fantastic. <laughs> it changed my whole mind. I'm just saying this. That whatever tool we need, for the gospel to be advanced, let's get on it. If we need to publish more books, let's get on it. How many of you read free Christian materials? They sent free Christian books to you. Absolutely. We all. You know why we're able to get free Christian books? Because some people were given. Are you following what I'm saying? Let's get our messages out there. One thing I'm believing God for, and I know, come on, it's sooner than later, we need to get on television. Amen. We need to get on television. If we preach this truth just here, every Sunday, it takes us a long time to reach the world. But the Lord has given us a commandment to go into all the world. Would I want to get on TV? Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. 
It multiplies the effect of the word. But we start and we grow gradually. I want you to examine your giving. Let's go back, take all these truths, take all the scriptures, go through them. Sit down with your wife. Draw up a budget and say, this is what we're going to give. So we're going to give to the poor. This is what we're going to give to the needy. This is what we're going to give to scholarships, whatever. And even as a church, we've got a welfare system. We've got people on scholarship. We've got over eight people on scholarships in the church that are in school that we support. We have guys who are doing apprenticeship that we support. We have people, which is, there's a welfare system in the church. But there's also something you need to do for yourself. Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you for listening to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would also like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng or call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.